This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. (laughs) Hey everyone, this is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you, and the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey everyone, welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood sports and entertainment. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law media attorney. And I'm your other co-host, Mesh Bakani. Paul, how you doing? Doing well, Mesh. Feels like the end of a long week. Work's been pretty brutal, but one thing is I'm not running the New York Marathon tomorrow, so yeah. I feel like I can get some rest. I know uh, you're probably going to check it out. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to check it out. By the time everyone hears this, the New York Marathon would have occurred. I've never really checked it out before like i used to have this attitude my attitudes are changing as i get older but it was like oh the marathon's on they're blocking all the streets and now it's like cool the marathon's on we'll be cool to go check it out and you know cheer some people on and it's a big new york event takes place all over the city so it is i lived on the southwest corner of central park for four years now i'm on the north east corner of the park and it's like i'm still sort of where you were mentally, it's like, oh my God, it's going to be so hard to get around. But deep down, I think I, at some level, I want to do a marathon. Yeah. Wow, I just, yeah. I don't know if I can deal with the knee aggravation. I mean, a half marathon, yeah. maybe. I don't know. I do try to run every morning, but like 26 miles just seems. It's brutal, man. I mean, daunting. I'm saying it's brutal. I've never even ran a half marathon. It's insane that people, and it's insane when people run that at like uh, their average time per mile is. Something I can't even run in one mile. Some yeah, six. It's just insane to me. Yeah. Well, some of that is the shoes. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm just kidding. But no, I did. I was reading an article. Like all these world records are falling because um, there's these, I think it's carbon plated or something shoes. Or if you're running a marathon in two hours and 10 minutes, and then you can shave it down to like two hours and six minutes, more power to you. You know, I don't begrudge people that. It's 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 pretty incredible. <laughs> so yeah, that that that's pretty cool. You know, and some not so great news when it comes to the entertainment world and Hollywood and TV. And this this happened on October 28th. But Matthew Perry died at the age of 54, one of the main stars of Friends. I know, Paul, you watch Friends. I grew up around Friends. So, you know, of course, it was one of those. Ah, man, what a bummer. This guy struggled with some addiction his whole life. And 
it was sad. It was really sad. I mean, he died on the, the 28th, and then I think his funeral was on the 3rd. Yeah, Friday. It was Friday afternoon. And we didn't talk about it last week because he died abruptly. And I also wasn't sure I wanted to talk about it this week because it's a sad story. But then again, so much positive stuff has come out about how much what he wanted to be remembered yeah. for. And I think it's also a good time to talk about mental health and, and all these things. Because for anyone that doesn't already know, I mean, started acting when he was in his teens, I guess. His, his mom raised him in Canada. And then he moved to LA when he was a teenager to live with his dad. They separated when he was a, like a year old and started acting. Uh, but he was kind of a like a disobedient student. So I think he was drinking early, like when he was like 14. He was a daily drinker by the age of 18. Wow. He got in a fight. He actually beat Justin Trudeau up in school when they were like really yeah he was like 10 or 11 years old Justin Trudeau did remember him fondly uh, when he passed so in addition to him being like this hilarious funny charming actor he also had this demon that he was dealing with which led to the painkillers the alcohol the cocaine all that stuff and he he was very open about it He, he wrote a memoir about it and talked about how he couldn't watch friends because he was on dozens of vicodin pills or i was just drinking or doing blow like nonstop. he said something at one point he's like i don't even remember that season he'd say something like that like where he was just completely blacked out well you know i mean he was probably like going through the motions and not mentally there like he's probably someone that could just like show up read the script be himself be the character and be great in that role when he wasn't even fully mentally engaged. And he did look really thin. And then later in life, he, he put on yeah. weight. And so I think maybe that was him getting off of the substances. I don't know. The circumstances around his death, I don't think are really definitive. Yeah. They said he drowned and no substances were found at the scene. But he was posting some some weird stuff on social media, like calling himself Matt Man. And, you know, it's just very unlikely that someone would drown in a hot tub, all right. else being right. equal. But he said he didn't want to be remembered. He's like, when, when I die or if I die or whatever, he was like, I don't want the first thing people talk about to be friends. I want it to be that I help people. And I think that is why we're talking about it today. Because as great as he was as an actor, if he can have a bigger impact, by inspiring people that are struggling to, to yeah. get help, then it's all worth it. Yeah, and I just saw pictures of the funeral service where the cast of Friends came together, obviously to celebrate their friend, Matthew Perry, and it was at the Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Los Angeles. It's also the same place where Paul Walker, Carrie Fisher, Debbie Reynolds, and Nipsey Hussle are in terms of resting places. So he's in good company there. It's like near Burbank. I remember it's north of LA. If you were taking the back roads, you know, from like Disney or Warner Brothers from Burbank back to downtown, you would kind of go through that area. Yeah, I mean, listen, I love Friends. Friends came out when I was, what, like middle school, high school, early college. And I remember I would watch it when it was in syndication, like every night. Chandler was probably my favorite character, maybe Chandler or Joey, Chandler Bong. Um, <laughs> iconic, yeah, iconic yeah. episodes. I remember when they, um, when he was like, I'm wearing everything in your closet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, he was, says, um, yeah. it's the one where no one's ready. And I just watched it the other night and he's like, he said he hit his underwear. And, and Joey says, <laughs> Well, I'm going to do the exact opposite of that. And he's like, what? You're going to show me all my clothes? Uh, and then he comes on wearing all his clothes, and he's going commando, and he starts doing lunges. Great episode. 
I really, you know, we, I, again, we were in Pakistan and growing up friends was so huge globally, man. Like it was just such a global sensation and we watched it. We watched every, every time we could get our hands on it, we would watch it. So we grew up watching it as well. Yeah. It was a great show. And I think it captured a moment or maybe an era and they were phenomenally successful. And I think came out that they all co-negotiated as a cast to each get paid the same. And they got a million dollars an episode. Yeah. That was apparently David Schwimmer who led that. Yeah. yeah. By the end season, it was a million in an episode. And I think now in syndication, they get paid $20 million each a year. Each? A year? A year. That's because I think the value. Wow. The value of Friends, it's around like a billion dollars or something. This is what I read recently because of all the syndication deals. And right now, Friends is on Max. But I think previously it was on Netflix. Like, it's bounced around a bit. We talk about, and we're not talking about it this episode, but the SAG strike and how actors feel like they're not getting enough residuals on streaming. Are you saying they each get $20 million a year in residuals? Yeah, they make... 20, they each earn 20 million a year in syndication income from Warner Brothers for playing their characters. Wow. $20 million a year. Well, that's why he died with a net worth of 120. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it was a home run. Totally. Total home run. And I guess once your basic needs are met, obviously he didn't, money wasn't an issue yes. for him. Yes. You know, maybe romance, maybe family, whatever it was. You know, he wanted to help people. Yeah. And, Maybe starting with himself. I think it was good. You know, the memoir, he was open about his stuff. He obviously did the Friends reunion. We could see that he wasn't in the best shape, but at least he was, like, open about it. You know, he had a pretty, besides Friends, I mean, you know, the guy the guy did have some movies back in the 90s. He was, like, on the rom-com. Fool's Russian. Uh, Fool's Russian with Salma Hayek. The Whole Nine Yards with Bruce Willis. And I think there was, like, one more in there. I, I remember, I really remember Fool's Russian and the whole nine yards. I think the whole nine yards was pretty funny. That was Bruce Willis is an assassin and he plays a dentist. So, you know. Yeah, no, he was funny. He was funny. And in fact, like his type of humor, I thought resonated with me, like the kind of like witty, sarcastic. I'm not saying I was as funny as him, but he's a great character and it will live on. But hopefully that's not the first thing people remember about him. The first, hope, and, and his they did start the Matthew Perry Foundation after he died or the day he died. Yeah. Well, hopefully uh name lives on and other people can get help from it. But um, let's take a break and we'll get back and we'll talk about what our favorite topic, AI. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high-adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC, and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. So, Mesh, we've talked about this. 
ad nauseum. Uh, the episode where I interviewed Mary Rassenberger with the, the Authors Guild CEO when they were talking about their suit against OpenAI, whenever we talk about the SAG strike or how the WGA strike was resolved, hot button issue is AI. This week, there was a lot of pushback from celebrities about having their likenesses recreated by AI. Specifically, Dick Cage was quoted as saying he thinks AI is a disaster and inhumane. Brian Cox, who's an amazing actor you know, of succession fame and Super Troopers and the McDonald's commercials, he says AI is a human rights issue. Scarlett Johansson is suing an app company that apparently used her likeness to create an AI recreation of herself in a 22 second ad that was posted on x wow and they didn't give her any credit for that well they actually said this was created with ai and does not oh man reflect you know the endorsement of the person recreated so they try to use that disclaimer but it still got shut down but then again you know scarlett johansson has attorneys who can send a cease and desist and and try to get that shut down but not everyone has access to that not everyone has the the resources to you know start a legal complaint or to sue an app or to police their likeness. So what do we do? You know, we're at the threshold of a new era of technology, which has some say limitless potential, but also, you know, untold risk. You know, I don't know. I mean, the WGA thinks they have a solve. The SAG agreement still hasn't been fully negotiated, but I think they're, the studios and the AMPTP and the actors are talking about you know, hopefully ending it this calendar year so that things don't delay too much and they'll have to come up with some sort of resolution on AI. But I don't know. I mean, what do you think? How, how would you stop it? And I know at the end of this segment, we'll talk about what President Biden's pushing for, but it's really open-ended. I'm one of those, like, yes, in tech, I think there's interesting applications here. I agree with all these concerns from actors, you know? Like, I think that the way people are using it is shortcutting. And they're taking advantage of people's likeness and they're trying to exploit it. And like, I don't think that's cool. Like I, you know, I, I've never thought that was okay. And I think it's lazy. It, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, yes, there's like really cool applications to it, but you still have to give people credit no matter what. And I think we're going to have attribution is going to be a really big issue pushing into these next few years. We've talked about this before, but just giving people credit and like finding out what's real, what's fake. I mean, We've talked about this, like the voices, like the the deep fakes of people. And I think what's going to happen is that you're going to start seeing a lot more, and we're already seeing it now, but investment into tech that is able to distinguish the difference between real and fake. I know there's some funds that are dedicated to this. And I think that's important because you have this balance around it. And, you know, Nick Cage said, I mean, you quoted that earlier part, but he said, I would be very unhappy if people were taking my art and appropriating it. And Tim Burton and the, the connection between Nick Cage and Tim Burton was that Tim Burton was doing a Superman back in the day. Nick Cage was supposed to star in it. In the Flash movie, you saw like a CGI version of that. And I'm not going to lie. I saw that part and it was pretty terrible. Nick Cage was kind of like he actually commented on this separately that he had no idea what was going to come. That's the CGI that was in the flash. movie was him finding some giant spider. And he's like, yep, that is not what we recorded. Uh, it was something completely different, but it wasn't AI either, right? That it wasn't was AI. It was CGI. Yeah, they reached out to him. They recorded him. They tweaked it. And the end result was not what he thought it was going to be, or even what he was anticipating, but it wasn't without his permission or consent or activity. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. Like if you're, you know, you can create, 
stuff of people and use it. You still have to give them credit or get them paid for it. Tim Burton said he's also not happy with AI. He quote, he quote said, they had AI to do my versions of Disney characters. He told the independent, I can't describe the feeling it gives you. It reminded me of when other cultures say, don't take my picture because it is taking away your soul. What it does, it sucks something from you. It takes something from your soul or psyche, and that is very disturbing, especially if it has something to do with you. It's like a robot taking your humanity. Okay, like intense, but I agree. The fact that I can go on mid-journey and say, create me six characters based on a, uh, Tim Burton's Batman, but make them like Disney characters, and then immediately that's uh, that's made for you. I think... Um, you know, the right licenses have to be put in place for that because otherwise it's going to be a free-for-all and it's going to be chaos. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, guardrails for sure. You know, I think appropriating people's likenesses, maybe that's just a bright line thing. Can't do it without consent. But even before we get to that, it's like, how do you label things? And I don't want it to be, and here's an example. It just came to my mind. Like, you know, I watch a lot of sports. You see these pharmaceutical ads and it'll be like, a person running around with a rash or like two people walking around and then they like look sad and then some jingle starts and it's like, have you heard of this drug? And then they start smiling and they're living an active life and everything's great. And then the last two seconds of the ad, they're just rattling off a bunch of side effects that could potentially happen. Like you might (laughs) die, you might have a heart attack, you might have a stroke, you might have this and this and this and this and this, but you won't probably have that rash. And so, yes, they are, there is a disclaimer, but even in the Scarlett Johansson, Lisa AI ad in question, there was a disclaimer that said, hey, we used AI. We didn't actually get Scarlett to record this. Right, right. And her lawyer still shut it down. So I think in addition to sort of labeling, there's probably a consent thing that has to be ironed out. And some people may be fine with it. I know certain celebrities like Tom Brady, I think, has, has been public and said, hey, like, I don't mind having an AI created avatar. I think it's cool. I want to be like forward in that sure, regard. For sure. And there's a balance. But yeah, it's a balance. I kind of wonder what's going to happen with like the use of people who passed. Like, can you create something that Abraham Lincoln would say today? I wonder how that would work. Well, I think if you're no longer alive. Well, it probably depends, right? If what adds if it's Michael Jackson who has an estate or like Prince who has an estate that they died that wasn't that long ago and someone made a commercial using AI and them. I wonder how that would work. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, if it's someone like who recently passed and there's a question as to whether they recorded it before, I mean, I think the risk is there. But if obviously like Abraham Lincoln wasn't around when yeah. AI was around. Yeah. So if you see him like <laughs> in a music video, yeah. it's probably, <laughs> it's probably not him. Yeah, I meant it more like, is there someone you have to get permission? From? I'm more concerned about the people that are alive being recreated without their permission (laughs) (laughs) i'm like watching a commercial i'm like oh my god it's abraham lincoln like he's a lot yeah four score man so so president biden did issue an executive order uh this week establishing new standards for ai safety and security then the executive order is aspirational it's not actually law but it is using the tools that are available to him to state what some aspirations would be saying that, you know, if you're working on sensitive, if you're a developer of potentially sensitive technology, you have to share your testing results, your safety test results, and other critical data with the U.S. government. 
There need to be tools and standards to ensure that AI systems are safe and secure. There's definitely heightened scrutiny around things that can engineer biological weapons. There's concerns about safeguards for fraud and deception. All the things that you sort of think about, like the risks. And uh, so this executive order is kind of wide-reaching, very ambitious. I know in the UK, Rishi Sunak, has a. they're having a a seminar on AI. He wants to be kind of a safe haven leading AI research. Uh, it's one of those things where, and I know Biden specifically said this after he was, the article said that he watched the Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning, where the villain is an AI. Yeah. And then he got more concerned about it. And so he's like, I don't want this to be what happened with social media, where social media grew for a decade, decade and a half. And then we started realizing it was having all these negative impacts on our youth. I want to be ahead of it as opposed to chasing after it. And regulations to some degree always behind the curve because you don't want to overcorrect. Yep. But I do think it's, it's good to have guideline principles. It's just easier said than done. And I don't know like if labeling AI, how you would do it. I guess the commerce department is taking that one on, but how you would do it in an effective way that resonates with people that isn't just dismissed. I'm actually looking at a tweet thread. There is a group of tech VCs. So like Andreessen Horowitz, Gary Tan from Y Combinator, Bill Gurley of Benchmark. And they said here, we've submitted a letter to President Biden regarding the AI executive order and its potential for restricting open source AI. We believe strongly that open source is the only way to keep software safe and free from monopoly. They asked to help it get amplified. Looking at it here, and it's just saying, executive order definitions of AI and dual use models are too broad, casting a wide net over existing and future software in innovations. Worse, the EO sets up a gauntlet of reporting designed for tech giants that would be crushing for researchers, nonprofits, or smaller companies. So yeah, I, I think that's interesting. So like this is always uh, the, the focus on like keeping things open source uh, versus allowing things to become too much in control of the like the the big tech companies now like Meta, Google, et cetera, which I think a lot of people are worried about. Yeah, I mean that's a whole separate little topic because the question is like resources, openness. Here's the thing: I mean, is it possible for some fledgling, low-funded company to come up with some algorithm that's really good at copying people? Right? Can can you do damage without a lot of funding? And even OpenAI, I don't know how transparent they've been of late with how their models are trained. And, and even though their name has open in it, it's just like they're also a business yeah. and they don't want to put the special sauce out there for everyone either. So I, I get that side of it too. I don't think I have the answer. I'm just, it's clear that celebrities are, I think, if you had to pull them strongly to moderately against the potential for recreating their likeness without their yeah. permission. And writers similarly are concerned. And listen, I mean, I know a lot of professions, a lot of people in the legal profession, medical profession, writing, and so many professions that are concerned about their jobs becoming obsolete. But if someone could take, you know, my likeness and start doing this show, for example, without me, I, and unless it's yeah. me and done under my sort of supervision, I don't know that I'm okay with it. Yeah. I, I, look, I think it's, it's, it was said it's a balance. I don't think it's like completely anti AI. It's like, the, the rules and guardrails need to be in place. And I think you need a good mix of like technologists who understand that people care about their, you know, the value in their own personal IP. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious, like who are they bringing into a room to discuss this stuff? I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, 
Maybe they'll call you in. Yeah, I don't think I have much to offer them, but um, I'm definitely watching the space very, very closely. Yeah, no answers yet. Not, not on Better Call Paul. Just more questions. Okay, let's take a quick break and come back with an announcement on some of our favorite shows and when they're going to come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Paul. So, you know, there's been a, a seem, I feel like an absence lately, and that's obviously because of the writer and actor strike TV. Like, there's just really nothing to watch these days. Uh, I've been watching a lot of old shows, but there's nothing really. There's a few shows that are new, but I think all of us are waiting for the big blockbusters, Yellowstone, House of Dragons, Euphoria, you name it. And I think we finally have some idea of when these shows are going to be coming back. We do, yes. Yeah. So um, we'll do this in two parts. So Yellowstone, which we've talked about on episode 208 and actually 219 this season, we talked about how it's created by Taylor Sheridan. He's a showrunner. John Linson is like a EP or co-showrunner. And it's basically the most important show in the Viacom Paramount universe. I mean, potentially... It has two spinoffs now, 1883 and 1938, but then it also has 2024 and 1944. So that's four spinoffs. Probably the most important show to Paramount+. Plus. The original show is now was airing on CBS partially due to the strike, even though it's five years old. When it started out, it had a handful of million fans. Now MTV says they have 100 million fans. So it's a very successful show. It's also very expensive, which we talked about in episode 219, because um, Taylor Sheridan has basically all the leverage. So they have this like several hundred thousand acre ranch in Texas that they used to shoot, which he co-owns and leases back to the production. Everything has to be just so. So I think he... They're spending, what, like half a billion dollars? Crazy. And we talked about how it's going to transition because Kevin Costner was the patriarch of the show, of the Dutton family. And he rumors are that when season five, which was bifurcated, um, he wanted to do the second half of season five in one week. So to create time for him to do his movie, Horizon, which apparently didn't sit well with Paramount or Taylor Sheridan. So they're moving on. He's no longer going to be on the show after season five. And then they just announced that the second half of season five is coming out, but in a year. So November, 2024. Yeah. It's a, it's a long time. And like, I don't even think I finished the, the first half of season five. And I think Kevin Costner said, Oh, so he doesn't really want to participate that much in these last few episodes. Uh, you mentioned horizon, which is, it's a two part movie that he's co written and will be directing and I think that'll be interesting. I mean, that's going to have Sam Worthington, Jamie Campbell, Luke Wilson, Sienna Miller. So he's got his own like Civil War, American West thing going on. Um, and Kevin Cotter's are pretty good at that. But yeah, like, dude, that's a that's a long time. That's a long time to wait for a show that just for their last like few episodes, second half of the season. Yeah, but they're also gonna they're gonna do twenty twenty four and nineteen forty four yes. too. But yeah, it is a while to wait. Like you, you probably just have to rewatch everything in the downtime. I mean, it's not just Yellowstone we have to wait for. 
HBO had also announced that, you know, it's going to take some time for House of Dragon and Euphoria to come back. And White Lotus. And and Last of Us. And Last of Us. And oh, White my God. Lotus. It's all of them. So House of Dragon is supposed to be early summer 2024. So what? About a year, a little less than a year from now. And it's going to be two episodes less than last season. So season one was 10 episodes. This is going to be uh, eight episodes. And then Euphoria season three, White Lotus season three are pushed to 2025. Along with Last of Us season two. Well, here's the thing. House of Dragon at least was shot. So that's in post-production. Right. Some, most of the other stuff hasn't even been shot. And those dates are all contingent on, SAG, on the SAG strike ending at some point soon, right? Because if you haven't shot the show and you have SAG actors, you know, what are you going to do? But House of Dragon, they can at least start writing and doing whatever touch-up they're going to do in post because they're in post, but they did principal photography. So as you said, HBO, they had a slate presentation in New York last week. They also had a trailer for House of Dragon season two where all the um, the press in the room, shout out to Alex Weprin, who was on episode 236 of BCP. He wrote an article about this. They were allowed to see the trailer, but not discuss it. So there's a trailer out. They're pretty far along. They also have a predecessor to Thrones, yeah. which is Night of the Seven Kingdoms, the Hedge Knight, yeah. which they say is going to start shooting in the spring, but they haven't even cast it yet. So I don't know how that's going to happen. Right. And then, and then there's a couple of other ideas out there which is supposed to be, I, I think I was reading, I don't know if this is the same thing, but it was, um, is that the same thing? The future Lord Commander of the Kingsguard? Yes. Duncan Egg. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Duncan Egg is the concept they're working it's on. It's based on the Dunk Egg, Duncan Egg Yes, novella, which is yeah. the future Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Um, and then Egg, who's the future King Aegon uh, Targaryen, that as they wander Westeros, having adventures roughly 100 years before the events of the novels, but these are all an idea phase. So like that hasn't even been green, greenlit yet. No, that's going into that's they say that's going into production in the spring. Okay, okay. Oh, that's, a, that's what they said. I thought that was the the is that all the Night of the Seven Kingdoms? Is that all the same thing? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Duh. That's how dumb I am. Night of the Seven Kingdoms is based on the novella series. Okay, I see. Okay. Duncan I got Egg. it. I got it. Okay, that makes sense now. Duncan Egg. Um <laughs> Yeah, well, that'll be exciting when we actually get anywhere close to that. So I know 2025 seems like forever away, but it's uh, it is forever away, right? Well, listen, when you strike for five months or more, I mean that that puts everything behind the eight ball. Well, that that reminds me, wasn't that like Game of Thrones? We had to wait. I think it was almost two years where we had to wait once for a season to come back. Uh, I I remember it being like a long time. Maybe it was a year, but I just remember being like, whoa, why do we have to wait so long? Well, the thing about Game of Thrones, which I've said, I think on this show, is that I didn't watch it until the pandemic. And Jess and I binged all eight seasons over the course of like two weeks. Yeah, that's so impressive. Now it was like April 2020. We watched all that of it. That is impressive. And it was like the most amazing thing. But yeah, I think when you're looking back and catching up on shows, you don't notice it as much. But if you're in the industry making stuff, if you're talking about it, covering it, if you're a huge fan like you are, these delays are really tough. Yeah, and in the meantime, uh, not much to watch. I'm actually just looking through the list right now. There's Invincible, the animated series on um, on Amazon that came back for a second season. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Planet Earth 3, the famous BBC. Obviously, the, the, the BBC oh, yeah. show, that's back. That got 100%. The Gilded Age is out, 94%. Other than that... Um, Loki season two is there, and then of course lessons in chemistry, 
which is the Apple TV show starring Brie Larson. And then Gen V, which is the spinoff of The Boys on Amazon. But I'm really, I'm really struggling here to find stuff to watch. You can hibernate for like six I know. months I, I think, to a year. <laughs> I think that'll be fine. I'll just wait. But anyways, we'll keep you all posted on anything else we hear around the strike, everything AI related. But that's our show for this week, folks. Make sure you're tuned in and subscribe to the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. Tell your friends, tell your family, follow us at Better Call Paul, the podcast, Instagram, TikTok. Follow me on Twitter at Mesh Lacani. Better Call Paul is produced and edited by Valentino Rivera and assistant producer Lisa Sanders. Have a great week. Thanks, everyone.